Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Callaway Golf. The Apex Iron from Callaway defined a new category of player's irons. They combine the feeling and look of a forged iron with Callaway's leading distance technologies. With Apex, golfers experience an unmistakable leap in performance, and the new Apex is taking perfection even further. Callaway's 360 face cup, which makes everything better, generates industry-leading distance in the new Apex irons, and the unmatched feel will get every golfer's attention. This kind of power, distance, and control is not supposed to feel this great. Apex is in a class by itself. New tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes launch and trajectory throughout the set, which delivers a new level of precision in a stunning player's shape. The new Apex is the ultimate forged player's distance iron. The unmatched feel and distance, playability, and control are redefining the player's iron category. Again, once you experience an Apex, nothing else compares. This is Callaway's best for the best. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer or visit CallawayGolf.com and see what makes Callaway the number one iron in golf. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's uh, guest is a longtime friend, fellow Mississippi State Bulldog, but a representative to one of the most important and influential companies in golf. I, I deemed them in 2014 on my radio show, Talking Golf, the most important company in golf and the most valuable company in golf in 2014. And I think that they're trending to get the award for the second time, and that is Trackman Golf. And with, with Trackman Golf is Lance Vincent. Lance, how are you today, buddy? Doing well, bud. Uh, glad to be here. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your airplane-traveled life to, uh, to uh, be here. Trackman has entered a new world, which is the indoor world and how they're taking the experience uh, in an indoor cube, so to speak, and turning it into the where I expect a significant portion of golf is going to move in the future. In 2004, well, probably before 2014, but in 2014, it transformed the golf teacher game completely upside down. Yeah. It started with equipment companies, but it was only kind of locked up to the equipment companies, and then it veered into some, the teaching, and it totally transformed the game. Obviously, I worked with you at West Haven Golf Club, and then you, you went quickly to a course in North Carolina before taking the TrackMan job. What is it like being a part of something revolutionary? Yeah. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's been incredible to be on the front end of things, both at West Haven. I mean, I would, I would say both of us, I mean, we're pretty blessed that we, you know, we, we built a learning center out there before we even had a clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty bold move. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hey, we're working out of the cart barn, but yet we've got, you know, $200,000 worth of golf technology down in uh in a learning center so um you know i was you know when i was getting started so 
to be able to have TrackMan there from pretty close to when I graduated, you know, graduate yeah. within a year, we've got TrackMan down there. Mm -hmm. You've got yourself down there. So, you know, we've, it was a great melting pot along with, you know, our friend Errol who is down <coughs> yeah. there also. So we, you know, we had this uh, environment that was pretty amazing. And I knew that it was like, okay, this is different. Uh, this is this is way different than I like you said I, I I go to track or I go to North Carolina Diamond Creek and really start to be able to hone a lot of that stuff as well up there because if you've ever been to Diamond Creek anyone listening and I think you've been up there as well I mean it's not a whole lot going on yeah like <laughs> I mean, we're on top of a mountain and there's only 200 members and you're taking a chopper up there I yeah. mean there's not a lot going on so you get to work on this a lot. So needless to say, to answer your question, um, it's, uh, I feel so blessed to have been with this company, both as a customer mm. at two separate stops, then to be on the front end. So when I started, I was the, maybe we had five or six sales reps that covered the U S I had 10 States when wow. I started. So living in Palm beach, which, you know, again, what what an incredible spot to be starting with track. Yeah. I mean, that's also a big part of my tie in to where now I've ended up having a bigger role on the PGA Tour. Well, I live where half of the tour lives yeah. uh, when I started and we went wireless that first year as well. So that was a real crazy spark yeah. with TrackMan. I mean, you had a TrackMan 2, then a 3E and then and then a 4 now in your setup here. Um, but you know, that was the ultimate game changer for track man going from manufacturers, teachers, fitters in a very, you know, controlled environment, whether you have a learning center, mm -hmm. um, now that thing just goes in a little case with an iPad or an iPhone and you're off and running. Yeah. So that's a huge change, especially for the tour and then going down to places that, you know, you don't have a building. Um, but once you really understand what goes into TrackMan, so I've been to Denmark now twice, which, mm -hmm. you know, for the listeners that, that, that don't know, but our, our company's based out of Rungstead, Denmark. So just outside of Copenhagen. And when you get over there, I mean, there's 250 employees in this building. We started in a garage, you know, like most great companies, mm -hmm. it seems like, you know, yeah, no here, like, oh, it started in the garage and we did this and we didn't have this. And so, you know, that's kind of where we started and, you know, went to one quarter of a building and then we got half the building and then now we have the whole building. And, you know, um, so to get over there and see our CTO, our CEO, people that started the company, I mean, they're there every day. So when you know that the people that, are the ones making the decisions, investing all of their time, are so personally invested. Then you see the developments that we're able to make and you get out there and you're on tour, or you're with a private individual, whatever it is, like you know where that came from. I mean, I'm yeah. the thing about a Danish company also is I mean it's very flat, obviously. I mean, we've I can go unlike some companies like, oh, you have this CEO or CTO that you just know of. Mm -hmm. Hey, he made it and he started it. Like I have a direct line to those guys. Wow. So, um, 
which which is great, you know. So it is a piece of technology, and it's like, oh well, you know, this is going on or that's going on. And I'm like, buddy, nobody is more invested in this thing being perfect than the CEO and CTO. Yeah. So to be on the front end of it is amazing, but to be on to be that closely tied to where you know I get to meet with them twice a year. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the part of it. That's like, you know, I'm looking around here and seeing all the orange here at Ensworth, but like, you know, and I'm a Tennessee fan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> orange is part of your life. I, I'm, I bleed <laughs> orange. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been incredible to see the evolution of things that has been, this is only for the elite teachers and the elite instructors and club fitters and manufacturers to, you know, seeing a kid who's, you know, his dad is able to get one for a son that's 13 years old and help them just get their yardages dialed in and then get a college scholarship. Yeah. Like, it's great to have a club that's using it, but like, holy cow, to be able to feel like you're a part in some capacity of, um, you know, a kid's success, you know, yeah. maybe a trajectory of somebody, whether in, in any capacity. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's what keeps bringing you back. Yeah. You know? No doubt. Well, I think that one of the, the fascinating pieces to understanding what TrackMan's doing. You're listening to On the Verge with Virgil Herring. Back to the game. I find it fascinating when it comes to what TrackMan delivers, um, because I grew up in the in the Tiger Woods insanity, you know, the, in the book Outliers. And I'm not saying that I'm an outlier. I'm just saying I'm, I was in, the, in in an age group that could experience it. I graduated one month after Tiger won the Masters in '97. About three weeks later, on the cover of USA Today was the junior golf boom that Tiger created. And on that front cover was through the green in Franklin, Tennessee, which is where I ended up getting a job. And so you you go from just video, and you're using almost like Golf World or Golf Digest stills to like hit some kind of pause button on a VCR that doesn't capture it quite right. and you're, and we 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 certainly know even more now than we ever knew when it comes to what the body's doing versus what it looks like on on TV. Mm-hmm. To and I, I feel like I, I was fortunate because I had a lot of people trying to help me. I didn't screw many people up, but as soon as TrackMan came out and showed that the club can come down slightly high, higher than what we thought. And still be traveling inside out, mm-hmm. or vice versa, could be coming in way shallower than we think and be traveling out to in. Mm-hmm. That totally changed the game, and all of a sudden there was no guesswork. And I would also say that it kind of eliminated the fake coaches. Mm-hmm. To me, that's where golf instruction is, and we're starting to see the the first wave of talent on the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, that it no longer is that model golf swing where it looked like everybody did the exact same thing. Now we're seeing Matt Wolf, Victor Hovland, not just the random Jim Furyk. We are now seeing people. We What TrackMan allowed us to do is we took, what do you do fast? Mm-hmm. 
bend it close to zero with a trend, and then click repeat. Yep. Yeah, you can kind of put some guardrails on it, right? I yeah. mean, good golf kind of happens here. Yeah. This general area. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I completely agree. I, I think the interesting part of that is also there is still the perception, and, and, and you get this in here, I get this as well, but like, oh, man, that track, man, that's, too, that's technical. And it's like, hey, pal, it's actually – probably less technical and when you first get a track man you know let's 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 rewind a little bit back to probably 2009 2010 yeah i'm thinking yeah late Um, nine is what i think yeah so we get the track man over there and it's like okay there's these 25 different things on here and you start looking through this and like it is kind of technical at first because you're you're learning it like anything, right? I yeah. mean, you have this broad, long explanation of all these things. And then you start to realize like, okay, well, I've always looked at this on video. Okay, that equates to these two numbers. And then here I'm seeing the ball flight. Okay, I can use this verbiage here, and then that gets this across. So it's still – it is, I think – and you you correct me if I'm wrong – I think golf is less technical now yeah. because of TrackMan. Because a lot of times, instead of a, where we're drawing these lines, we're looking at this. We're trying to find. We're trying to figure out what's gonna. What can we? What one thing is going to affect what we're trying to do here? Whereas a lot of times, I see one thing. Boom! Vertical swing plane, or boom! It's this, and you can get to that. Where if you've used it enough. It fe- at times, it feels like you're taking a test and you already know the answer. Yeah. And you can get and, – and the beauty of that is, man, we can get them confident and working towards this so much faster now. And then I think the second part of that is that once and, – and this is your, your, your performance center that you have here yeah. is – my big goal with TrackMan on tour and with individuals as well is that let's turn this thing into a performance machine. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I tell people all the time, of course, I get monikered already as technical anyway because I've got TrackMan, gears, focus band. I'm measuring everything. Yeah. But all it is is, like, see that number right there? It says 7-4 to the right. That's not a technical number. That's a feel. Mm-hmm. Now, what is it? What would it, you think it would feel like to swing seven degrees more left? Right. And then they do it. And like, I can't believe that I can't. I, I didn't come see you for so long because I heard that you were so technical. And this is the least technical thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. I get that at least seventy times a year, and I'm like, it's so frustrating that I'm just like, I cannot believe that people. Don't dig deeper than somebody else's negative BS to describe something that they can't have, don't have, or don't don't want to invest in. Right. To figure out how they can be better. Well, here's the thing: we both went to Mississippi State, so it can't be too technical. <laughs> Let's make, I mean, make that clear. Just because there's a number, yeah. <laughs> you know, doesn't yep. mean it's technical. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That is so true. I tell, that's what I tell. I have to I have to Mississippi State it down for you. I mean, that's what I gotta do. And 
it works. That's it, the key. It does. Simple is the best way to go. It's true. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at the instructors that, you know, again, that when, when I'm out there on tour and you look at, you've got, you've got, you've got guys that have an accent. Yep. <clears throat> so, I mean, how many top 100s are Australian or whatever it is? And then you got Southern boys. That's right. And I think there's something to the fact that you look at, you know, guys like, you know, John Tillery and 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 Jeff Pierce and, and Scott Hamilton, who's, yeah. who's my guy. And, I mean, they just dumb it down. Yeah. They're very smart. Uh-huh. But it's also – you have to be a certain level of smart in order to dumb it down correctly. No question about it. <laughs> that is exactly right. And that's that's – that's the thing that almost becomes that's almost the mystery the fun mystery of being around people that you do not expect to deliver that kind of wow mm-hmm. like scott totally is as down to earth country as you could possibly be mm-hmm. he gives you this straight country for an hour mm-hmm. and you feel like you ended up getting like massive harvard yeah yeah i mean yeah. he you know he he is such an interesting, amazing individual. I mean, I've spent more time with him on tour than probably any other coach. Mm-hmm. And just how he can be working with a player, I mean, I've got an interesting story. Like when he was working with um, Scott Stallings, mm-hmm. you know, all of us here in Tennessee. I mean, Scott broke. I mean, what he won like a million times at <laughs> Tennessee Tech, and yeah. comes out on tour and what he's won three times out on tour great guy works really hard and but he's just been this guy that you know he loves the flighted shot like i mean you go watch him hit balls and that thing is shot out of a cannon right at your chest for all clubs and he's played well out on the west coast he had struggled some when you go back down to florida there's a couple things involved there but he would have where you know he, you know, you hear about, and and this is like the one thing that I feel like uh, uh, commentators, broadcast wise, are like they they fell in love at some point in time about apex height, yeah. right? And it's like at a hundred feet, at a hundred feet, all of them apex at a hundred feet, which is a cool stat actually. But you know, you go to a guy like Scott, and Scott was like, he his weren't all at that hundred feet, so he would have you know, really low with certain clubs. So back to what Scott, Scott had started working with him, I don't know, however many years ago, but he was smart enough to know that he never needed to talk about the apex height, but he, he needed to improve it. Yeah. And so how he was going to do that was shallowing this and working on a couple of lines, working it. He's a big playing guy. So he's working on a couple of things there and periodically over the course of six months he's like scott's like hey pro uh man i'm hitting it really good like these seem to be a little bit higher this seems to be this like i scored so well last week you know like top tens in a tournament and you know it's something like well you know these shots were holding the greens and then basically scott being a guy that still you know at the time he was still bringing his computer out there keeps all these records of things even though he's you know appears to be just this redneck with a fat dip in his mouth sitting there Indian style mm-hmm. in the driving range with a computer, he's keeping the records of it. And so then six months later, after Scott realizes Scott Stallings 
He's like, oh, something's different. And then you got Hamilton is like, it's actually because we've been working on this for six months. Mm -hmm. But he never told him. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that, to identify what it is, be able to stay that course without, you know, saying, hey, we're going to work on this. And then get to the, and then once they've got to the finish line, it's like, ha, now let me tell you what we've been working on. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know? It's like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. If you're going to try to chew on all thousand pieces at one time, it can get very complicated. Yeah. Just pick a spot and yeah. pick another spot. And as it improves, the picture gets clearer. And all of a sudden, there it is. That nice bridge over the over the lake that you bought for a thousand, with a thousand pieces. But when you started, it didn't look like that at all. No. And he's, you know, and yeah. and you got to, you know, and out there too, <laughs> that, that's the other thing. It's like you can't have this total breakdown to the core of things too because, well. You got to play. <laughs> they're playing for a living. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. Hey, you know, we're really going to work on this for the next five months. And, you know, don't worry about, like, no, I, I have to worry about, yeah. like, being in the top 125. Yeah, it's a razor's edge thinness Yeah, out there between 75 and 200, oh, don't you think? It's nothing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's literally nothing. It it's so nothing. fine, it's ridiculous. I mean, I was just looking at some stuff the other day about um, – looking up the number of players that are, you know, track man owners in the top 100 and 200. And we had one of our reps in Europe who had sent me over at the beginning of the year the top 2,000 in official world golf ranking. And so I'd had that list, and there's 81 of the top 100 are track man owners in February, and there's 82 or 3 or something like that out of the top 100 are track man owners right now. But some of the names that have changed since February to now, it's it's mind-boggling. And then you go down from that to that, you know, 101 to 200. And then you keep cruising down. And then what's really wild is then you get down there to, like, you know, number 500. And you're like, this guy's won. This guy's done this. This guy's done that. Or then you go back and you look at February. And then you, you start scrolling down and you see a name that you're like, Adam Long, Corey Connors. Yeah. All right, here's a great example. Corey Connors. I got an email from Corey Connors in 2015 when he's playing on, you know, whatever little tours trying to get into stuff. Hey, once I, once I can get some status, man, I'm, I'm going to get a track, man. I'm working towards it. And so I just, like, you know, I, had, I hadn't seen him. I hadn't whatever. The guy – Monday Q's, I mean, greatest thing about golf. I mean, his, the Valero this year, yeah. unbelievable, right? Monday Q's into the event, wins the event, running away, yeah. gets him into the Masters, makes the cut at the Masters. And so he got a track man right after that. <laughs> and so it was funny because I was like, I don't know why I remember that name. And, and I went back and I remember looking at the email and it was like, well, once I can get, you know, once I get going, that'll happen. And it happened. Now, it didn't happen overnight for him, yeah. but it did for everyone else. Yeah. And, it, I mean, that is what is so incredible about golf. That guy's probably not even on that top 2,000 list. Mm -hmm. Now he's a PGA Tour winner, and he's, you know, he's got full – he's got stats for the next two years. Yeah. It's crazy. And a really good player. Really good player. Super nice guy. And I, I tell these kids, I mean, I'm very fortunate. we got a got a – an enormous amount of talent here at this school. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, listen, guys, I've, I'm fortunate. I've taught now 177 kids to play in college golf since I came to Nashville in 1997. Wow. And one of them plays, played and plays on the PGA Tour, and that's Brant. Mm-hmm. And then there's 196 others that were really good, and I could argue that maybe five of them from the blimp looked way better than Brant Snedeker. But they can't, that last number in the scorecard, they couldn't top. Right. There's a, t- there's a teeny bit of it factor in all the superstars. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to be number six in the world without being called a superstar at some point. No, exactly. See, he's very humble, and he doesn't get the pub that maybe the big, the great ball strikers get, but he can flat, Snedeker can flat out play the game. Oh, yeah. The, he, I just saw this. He became the first player ever on in PGA Tour history to be able to, to shoot 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, and 64 in a PGA Tour event. <laughs> Now, Furyk's the only person to shoot 58, but Furyk doesn't have a 61. Really? Yeah. That's unbelievable. That is. And, like, the guy could go. Of course, when, when the he starts putting, the basket, the ball, the hole looks like a basketball hoop. It's unfair. Yep. But that's a whole other point. But I tell these kids, like, the worst-case scenario that's going to happen out of this situation is you're going to play a great round of golf that's going to that's going to serve you well in the business life that you more than likely will attain. Right. And you actually may make more money doing that than you will if you had played on the tour. Very true. But don't underestimate yourself nor overestimate yourself. Let's just try not find out the best version of yourself. And they fall in love with what Rory's looks like or what DJ looks like and how Kepka's really. So you get these, you get these unique animals like Rory and Kepka and DJ too. Mm-hmm. They have unique facets of their golf swing. Like, and if, if it wasn't for TrackMan, people could mess up Rory just as fast as DJ mm-hmm. because DJ looks pretty steep mm-hmm. and Rory's numbers are pretty close to zero while it looks way the heck inside out. Oh, yeah. You were talking about driver, especially. Yeah, driver, Which is what especially. we all yeah, that's what just we're, are in awe about. Yeah. Right? They don't look like that, doesn't look. That doesn't look normal, like what we used to think would be yeah. ideal. Five up and five out, and yeah, pretty doggone straight. Yeah, and it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And that's the thing that I I appreciate about what TrackMan has done. And and to me now, obviously, I'm in this three thousand square foot mecca of, it is of golf performance. Yes, <laughs> it's it's pretty. It is unbelievable. Yeah, but to see what we can, I can do playing lessons with decade, mm-hmm. which. Scott Fawcett is was my 2018 MVP of golf. Yeah, dude's unbelievable. Yeah, I can do decade playing lessons at um, well, any any course that TrackMan puts up there, mm-hmm. and we can break it down, and then we can actually play the golf course that they're getting ready to play mm-hmm. because we play a lot of stuff at Innisbrook. There's some Innisbrook mm-hmm. stuff, the AJGA and the, and the IJGA they play down there. Yeah, and all these kids sign up for it, and we map it all out, and they're like, I cannot believe how much it helped. Because it's ex- we had the exact club all the time, mm-hmm. and I knew what I was going to see before I saw it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that was huge for me because there's always that element of not quite sure. We know that I, I'm knowing that they've put a lot of work into it, but to have them tell me that they hit the exact club, 49 of 54 holes. 
That's a testament. That is a testament to. I mean, I like that is impressive. So now, anytime that we're that I got kids playing an event, and then we have the golf course on either one of the two softwares that yep. that TrackMan loads into, I'm on it. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. And I just think that the the game is now we get time compressed, and there's less time to do all those things. But hey, I can go play uh, Muirfield Village in an hour and ten minutes. Right. Well, yeah, there's less time, and yeah, there's you know all those things. But and I'm sure the academic side and all that that's here. I mean, you know, I'm I'm grew up in Jackson, Tennessee. You know, JCN. None of the schools I even went to even exist anymore. They've yeah. all been <laughs> taken over. So yeah. academic wise, here and 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 all the things that kids have got pulling on them now. Yeah. But at the same time. That is one thing that I will say, TrackMan, and, and the right coach, it is a sh- absolute excuse eliminator. I mean, to be able to go in and do that, mm-hmm. and, and, and this again goes to, like you said, those, and, and not, that, not that this would change with those four or five individuals you were referring to earlier of the 177 that you've put out there, mm-hmm. but you get the right, you know, being able to tap into <clears> – <throat> Because this really is is also what taps into competitiveness, which is very difficult to do in the practice environment yeah. of golf, right? Yep. You know, maybe some of us have been. I know you mentioned the outliers and 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 uh, you know, talent code, and you know, I've read mm-hmm. all those books as well. Where you know, I realize a li- I I don't fall in any of those categories necessarily, except for one, and that was the fact that where I grew up. In Jackson, I never realized, like, I got out of Jackson and everybody's like, man, this kid, he kills it. Like, hit the ball a long way. You know, like, for a little guy, I mean, I move it. Yeah. But I never really knew that because everybody did in my group of people. Yeah. You know, we played a five. You could play five at Jackson Country Club. We all – you worked in the morning. So if you worked in the morning, you played in the afternoon, if you, you know, or vice versa, there was always five on the box and everybody was within a two year, uh, you know, age range. We're all really good golfers. I mean, USJ won, I think back to back state championships. And so they had some good players, but everybody killed it. And I get down to state and I'm blowing it past people and it's like, what's going on? I'm like, what do you mean what's going on? Why do you hit it so short? Like <laughs> everybody hits it this long. And then we get to West Haven even and and Tim, Tim got f- four of my friends that I grew up playing with all came in and had got lessons or got fittings on track, man. Mm-hmm. All of all of which uh swung at over 120 miles an hour. And he's like, "What is going on?" I'm like, "I don't know. We didn't know any different." Yeah. But I think a big part of that, too, was just that it was this little pocket mm-hmm. of competitiveness that was like, you weren't going to be the short guy. Yeah. So the same thing here, where like, you get into here and you say, all right, you know, we're going to put you on Mirfield, hole 12, 117 yards, and, you know, here's the number to beat. And it's, you know six feet or it's an average composite of you know 15 feet or whatever it is or you're going to play at Ennisbrook and you put them in those spots like you cannot in years past you just go okay we're going to practice some of these shots okay now you can put them in that environment and for that right kid 
as well, you tap into this thing mm -hmm. that maybe that's it, maybe it's not, but it's it's gonna play. Yeah. It, it might be confidence that it helps him with. There might be some technique that happens as a result of that with the right kind of direction as mm -hmm. well. I mean, again, kind of looking at putting the the guardrails like in bowling. You yeah. know, we get to put the bumpers up there for yeah. them. Realize kind of this is still good also. Yeah. Um, which I think defining what good is is also massively important God, is to realize that, yeah. that, you know, they're only showing the leaders on TV. Yeah. Not everybody's hitting it that close, bud. <laughs> <laughs> and not everybody's making every putt. Yeah. You know, so that's an important lesson to learn. Like, you know, go follow the group that is like, that just made the cut. You know, go follow those guys and realize like, they're not hitting every game. They're not hitting it to eight feet and they're not making that eight footer. Yeah. It's 50, 50, right? You know, on the best greens or the best players and whatever. Mm -hmm. And you get your kids out here and they're hitting it to eight feet and they're ready to break their putter and convince they're the worst putter on planet Earth. It's like, <laughs> hey, pal, it's pretty hard. Yeah. But defining that and being able to put that into, you know, God forbid we give it a number, yeah. right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I think it's, it's able to tap into different things for different people. And, and and I hope that Trackman has been able to do that mm -hmm. as much as anything else. Yeah. You've been able to do a lot of cool things traveling the tour. What's the what was the coolest experience that you've had working with a tour player or a group of tour players on on the Trackman side of things? It's a good good question. I mean, I've six years out there now. Um you know, I've I've gotten to know um, Jason Day and and his coach, former caddy, and you know mentor, all that. Colin Swatton, who's a phenomenal coach as well. You know, he's been Australian PGA Coach of the Year, however many times. And I've gotten to spend a lot of time with them. So, um, from a cool standpoint, watching that guy hit golf balls and just seeing, you know. He also his progression a little bit of understanding more about, um, you know, he hits it so straight. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's like you had mentioned, like Rory and DJ and some of that stuff. And you've got this guy who's like, holy cow, he hits it. I mean, we're sitting there one time. This is a tour championship and there's a, there's a, portalette on the back of the driving range and he's hitting drivers and he's you know he's carrying it 305 i mean guy kills it right yeah and high dead straight it's beautiful right you, you you get a chance to go watch him hit balls it's just like it's mesmerizing but watch him hit balls and like and he is literally hitting it at the left side of the of the <laughs> the, the shitter <laughs> <laughs> on the end of the driving range and literally hitting this thing like 15 drives probably in a row wow so getting to see stuff like that i'm always still in awe but then you know you'll hear him be like oh man look at rory and i'm like look at you <laughs> what are you talking about like he missed two of them over there to the right like he got he has big misses too but like i'm sitting here watching you hit it you know on top of this thing from 300 yards so being able to watch his excellence, especially in 15, yeah, which was unbelievable. Um, but then I would say from a cool standpoint, like just things that have happened that have been really neat is, uh, 
there's this was at the Masters. I've been been fortunate enough to work that tournament um, the last six years, and and you know, kind of the the only rep, if you will, that's 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 in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's player, coach, and and really nobody else, right? And so I've been able to to support them, you know, doing that. And so it was um, Louis Oosthuizen, and I don't know if I've ever told you this story. It's, no. it's really cool. It's a cool story. So Louis hitting, and you know, he's again, you know, you see his ball flight is just like it's pretty magical as well, right? I mean, it's it's very flighted, super super straight, and he just he's talking to uh Christian who who at the time is a still is is the head of the uh the tour van for ping and he's carrying it let's say I think he was at first he was carrying it like 285 and he says well I mean this week is going to be a little bit wet and he's like I want to carry it 300 what a weird ask like hey just 15 more yards no big deal so we're just kind of looking at some of these numbers they had changed shafts. They had changed um, uh, maybe the length. Like, let's say it went from, like, 44.5 to 45 and changed the shaft and literally just changed. I was noticing that some of these are they were coming out a little bit low, a little bit high on spin. So, like, let's say 8.5, 9 on launch and 2,900 spin, but just dead straight 285. Make a couple changes, blah, blah, blah. Change the tee height because he was just teeing it up really low, catching it low on the face and, you yeah. know, catching a little bit more spin and a little bit more spin loft. Change a couple things. 300, 305, 310. So we get to 310. And <laughs> you know what he says? I don't like it out of that window. <laughs> Which is very true, though. Yeah, that was a big. That was that was mind-boggling that we could get that kind of distance. And he had made some changes. Obviously, yeah. he started going from two down to maybe three up because we changed the tee height. And you know, so he he's being an athlete. It's super. I mean, that guy again. People that you that sounds different, and you want to go and watch if you get the chance to watch on the driving range. He's another one that's like it is just so. I mean, it's so silky. Oh, it's God, it's so beautiful. Believable, right? Yeah. And it just looks like he could just fall asleep in the middle of his backswing. But he gets we we get this number, we exceed it by ten yards. Like holy cow, he's he's not even jumping up and down. It's like he doesn't even care. It's like yeah, because it comes out of this window for thirty years, and now we showed this other window that gets what you wanted. Yeah. Well, that's not what you wanted. You wanted that out of this window. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have that pill. Yeah. Um, but I think that also goes to one of the big things I'm sure that you hear also is like, you know, you look at these tour averages and it's like, oh, well, well, the best players are still one down with their driver. Like, well, they are. Um, they are still one down as an average. Those guys that hit it the farthest, well, they swing fast and a lot of them hit up. A lot of those guys naturally have been that way. Like you don't have, no one ever had to tell JT or Rory how to hit up. Yeah, they just grabbed a golf club that was probably too long, and we're playing with people that were older and hit it further, and said, "Hey, 
I can sling this thing if I use the ground, hit up, do this. They didn't know they were hitting up. They just knew that they needed to hit it further. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of learning for those guys to say, hey, I need you to hit up. But then you have other guys that, that has been a learned skill, and then there's this new generation that, you know, maybe they've been taught that way. Yeah. But the, that that's the thing with the hitting up, you know, it's it's very situational as well. The part of those statistics by TrackMan that I think maybe will get better also is when there's the ability to add intent, conditions, what hold is that going to be on. Yeah. A lot of guys do have that. They like that, you know, cover it up, pinch it, go-to shot, and that might be one down or two down. But, buddy, if we're on whatever hole and I know I don't have trouble over there and I need to hit it far – they air it out. Boom. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna hit up. Yeah. That's so interesting. What's the uh if you had to put your five guys that when you're walking down the range, you know it's different. Yeah. Who are the five best ball hitters? Um the best ball striker I have ever seen is Boo. <laughs> dude never hits it on the button every time i mean i could watch him i and i have i mean i have i mean there's been weeks before like i remember in new orleans a couple of years ago he comes out at the end of the day uh, who knows what he was doing during that i mean he was fishing for sure but i don't know what else he was doing during the day but he's hitting balls and you know they had some chairs out there it's late in the day and me and Scott Hamilton, I mean, I sat there and just watched him hit balls for probably two and a half hours. I mean, and he can hit a five iron and land it on a bath towel just time after time after time. And it sounds different, and it's old school. I mean, he he punishes the turf. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it's from a sounds different, looks different, best ball striker. I'd say Boo is in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, if he – if historically, I mean, you would think if he could have – if he putted – At all. I mean, just anything better than awful, he'd have 30 wins on tour. Yeah. He, I mean, no question. No doubt. It's 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 unreal to watch him hit golf balls. Um, I would say uh, Stinson <clears> – <throat> Would be in that category. Dude, he makes the ground shake when he hits yeah. the ball. It's it is like I tell people all the time. I sat beside him hitting balls, and every shot he hit, I felt my feet. Yeah, from like twelve feet away, I'm like, yeah. but he punishes the ball. It's unreal, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. God, yeah, he's he is special. Um, Another guy that if he could put it at all, yeah. would have won a hundred times. Oh, absolutely. Jeez. Yeah, oh well, I God. love watching him hit balls. Um, Jason Day, like I said, because I've spent a lot of time around them, and he he just, you know, you you watch that guy hit, and then you realize, like, okay, he can carry it 310. He can hit everything dead straight. Oh, and by the way, he's leads maybe the best wedge player on tour and no doubt the best putter on planet Earth. Inside of 10 feet, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. You right? can't beat him. And you're in looking at it, you're like, and you hit it that good? Dude, in 2015, he didn't miss a putt, a putt. From outside, from inside of five feet. Think about that. He didn't miss a putt yeah. in 2015 
from five feet and in. It's insane. <laughs> that's, that's just so good. And it also is how hard it is to win on tour. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he did win five times in 2015, but so did Jordan Spieth. He wasn't even the player of the year. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. So, so another stat, hey, you'll appreciate this. And then I'll think of some other guys, but I thought this was – so that year when that happened, I remember I was at the tour championship. And, and like, you know, so for me, I'm there Monday through Wednesday. And most of the time I'm, I'm watching it over the weekend, depending on what else I got going on Thursday and Friday, sales-wise or whatever. Yeah. But so I see the statistic come up. They throw the graph up, and it was – there have been – let's say that it was five players all time that had won five times in a year. And so it was, you know, Spieth that year, um, Jason Day that year. Uh, you know, let's say uh, it was Jack Nicholas and um, what, uh, Byron Nelson probably or whatever, yeah. which was what, like 11 straight or whatever. But, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but anyway, it was only a handful. And then Tiger. And so, beside each one of them, it said what year they did it. And it was, it was you know, one year, right? 2015, whatever. Tiger Woods, 10 times. <laughs> There's five, been, been five people that have done this once. Yeah. Maybe Jack had done it twice, but it doesn't matter. And then Tiger's, it doesn't even have the years. It just says 10 times. Yeah. It's, uh. You can't wrap your head around that. No. And, and not only that. Uh, Lance, think about this. He won five times in a row or more, four times. <laughs> <laughs> he had it to seven. Yeah. I mean, it was 06 or 07. Yeah. And it just got to a point, like to me, it was kind of like when Sampras was at the top at tennis. It was no longer fun to watch other than the occasional time that Tiger won and was brilliant. Yeah. But Tiger would make it to the point where he hit it all over the world. Yeah. Hit an iron shot somewhere close, chip it to an inch, par. Yeah. And then, whoop, hit one in the fairway, flagged it, birdie. Yeah. You know, he hit six fairways, all six of those fairways. He was six under, didn't make a bogey. And, I mean, you couldn't even find him. Like, where was he? He was in the trees. Right. Hit some kind of sevy shot out of there. It was just unbelievable. It was just, like, so boring. But when now when you, when this when it's over, and of course now we have a, it's a, we get a little, we'll get little like nuggets of Tiger Woods yeah, yeah. for the next five years or so. You realize what you had. Yeah, it was so remarkable. One thing I know that I think is interesting. Like I spent some time real close to Tiger hitting balls. He's a clicker. Mm -hmm. He does. He's not a big compressive thump when he hits the ball. No, not really. He's a clicker of the ball. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite stories to tell is like there's a Faraday. Where he's interviewing Darren Clark. Yeah. And it's right after he wins the Open Championship. And Faraday says, what's the most impressive thing you've ever seen on a driving range? And he said, I was there at Augusta National when Tiger Woods hit about nine bags of balls. And there was only about an eight by eight inch square of turf displaced after about 180 shots. And I was standing to the right of that with Brant. And it was so strange because you didn't hear the the normal whoosh. Yeah. It was like yeah. click, click. And it was and so and I noticed this, but I remember I only did it because he went down and looked at it. Mm -hmm. It looked like the 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 bounce of the blade 
was pressing the grass down so that the leading edge was never really touching. Mm. And he looked down, and it was like this little square, like I said, it was about 8 by 8, maybe 10 by 10, mm-hmm. was grass smushed into the dirt. <laughs> really? And I just from I looked at it because Clark couldn't believe it. Yeah. So this is when it was, it was right beside Butch. Yeah. So it's Clark and Jose Maria, mm-hmm. Adam Scott, Tiger, and Mark Amir's there because obviously at that time Tiger and Mark were in each other's back pocket. Mm-hmm. And I, he just like, I don't understand how you do that. Yeah. And you know, Tiger's not afraid to just tell it like it is. Oh, he's, yeah. just, he's just not as good as me. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but exactly like, no right. kidding. But I just remember we were sitting there and like <clears throat> to the left of me was Tiger. To the right of me was Michael Campbell. Okay. Michael Campbell was digging ditches oh, yeah. over here. And Jonathan Yarwood, who's a great coach, a good yeah. buddy. Oh, yeah, I know Jonathan. I mean, ditch dig. And you know, he's trying to keep him up and level. And there's like, like ditch digger. Yeah. Ditch digger. Yeah. Brant's like, man, I'm in the middle of something. Yeah. And it, it was so fascinating because it was so bad. Like, Michael Campbell was struggling over yeah. there. And Tiger's just putting on an absolute oh, yeah. display. Of ball striking. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that there's that weird place. Like, there are people that hit the golf ball that are so impressive. And then there are the people that win. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why, like, Henrik Stenson doesn't win all the time. Because it's not about all about ball striking. Right. No. Do you think that Tiger Woods is the greatest iron player of all time? Absolutely. I, I don't think it's even close. I mean, I think either. Hogan, there are stories that talk about Hogan, and I get the fact that yeah. I didn't see it, so okay. Yeah, I can't speak to that. Yeah, but I would say I'd be fascinated to see the numbers of what it would have been like. I, I just don't I mean Tiger Woods hits it pin high from everywhere. Everywhere. Rough, yep. fairway, fairway bunker. Yeah. He is, it is, it's, it's literally, and under the most amount of pressure. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, not only is it, or the pressure because the media is on him and the predator, pressure to win because he wants to win, but then he also brings his own level of pressure, which is the goat. Yeah. You, you, you bring up a good point earlier about how, like, we get those flashes, you know, and of course, what he did at the Masters this year, but I actually go back and think about because I was out there on the course and you've you've played there and you've been out there and you know. So talking about how when he is coming from nowhere, like oh he's out of the trees, he's out of wherever, that shot, yeah, you will go back historically, I'm sure, and look at the Masters this past year, and you know obviously him hitting it hitting it on the green in 12 when everybody's just rinsed it. Mm-hmm. Big, big change there, obviously. Uh, 16, um, 17, I mean, was it 16? 16 was making all in one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the shot on 11 is From, the shot yeah. to me. I mean, that green is terrifying. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a more – terrifying approach shot in all of golf. Even if you're not playing in the Masters, I'm there. I'm like, my, I can't go for that green. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Pins like what? Like front left quadrant on Sunday. 
he's over there on the walking path and everything is running to the water and where everybody lays up over there or, or bells out if i mean you've been over there it's it is the hardest chip shot yeah <laughs> it's, it's not like, the hardest I'd on the property but it's, damn it's hard yeah, it is it is scary everything's going away and he just throws that thing up there on 11 and to me that was like okay let's let's go yeah like he was in such control when he's controlling i mean you i do agree that he's the best iron player of all time he hits it pin high but he controls what he needs vertically yeah it's ridiculous it is i mean that guy can just you want it to rain or do you want it to be straight through your chest yeah and i can do all of those with uh just about every iron in my club and have them all land where i want them to land it's remarkable i mean it is it is like to have the opportunity that i had that that was the only day that i had an immersion mm -hmm. of it in my life it's something i'll never forget it's just like total mastery total mastery mm -hmm. of your craft mm -hmm. and on a on call draw high draw yeah flighted draw right need five more yards boom right take nine off right boom right the, like, i've never seen it he had the softest arms and the fastest arms on call yeah total amazing yeah yeah you you know i guess that's that is kind of interesting as you look about ball strikers, too. You know, when you say that, like, a guy like Boo is – that is, like – I don't I don't, I don't know the, the right, like, word, but, you know, it's just pure center of the club face, blistered. But, you know, he – that thing is not going to be a high cut. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a high cut in there. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there could be, but – Buddy, it is like against everything that that machine built by you know Budweiser in Copenhagen <laughs> has been built is to hit missiles. Yeah, that fall two yards to the left. You know, I mean. Yep. But then you look at Tiger. It's you know, it doesn't sound as just earth shattering as no, like doesn't. impressive, but. It's what do you what do you want this one to be? You know, like we're at the U.S. Open. This is another. This is a, watching Tiger and Jason Day hitting balls that are right beside each other. And Day, you know, highest player on tour, 125 apex, and everything. Obviously, you know, I mean, yeah. his his two iron is like astronomical. This thing, yeah. and so he's hitting all these. He's hitting these high shots, high shots, high shots. We're at Shinnecock, and Tiger's right beside him. You know, Tiger kind of pulls up. You know. In a major, he's not doing a whole lot of work. You know, he puts all that work in before he's getting there. Yeah. So it's just kind of maintenance, you know, getting the feels and whatever. And so anyway, J-Day's hitting these high, just, I mean, tickling the clouds, these shots. And uh, he goes, he's like, Tiger, you wish you could hit it that high. And Tiger rakes one over. <laughs> missile, you know, downrange too. I mean, this absolute just missile comes out. And he goes, Bud, you wish you could hit it that low. And it's like, yeah, good point. <laughs> but that's that Tiger yeah. thing, too, with him of like, 
he's hitting these high side. And he's like, I mean, I got that shot too. But he just rakes one and he goes, <laughs> this thing just comes flying out. He goes, we should get hit that low and then just go to the next shot. Yeah. He, Mental he, warfare, that guy too. <laughs> is like, he's a warrior, man. I just, what an honor to have the opportunity to spend so much time around the great players too, you know. Real quick, what's it? What's and I think that you know, Rory is a compelling player. He's congenial. Mm-hmm. He's you get to like you almost feel like you get to know him. Yeah, I know he's a track man, track man guy. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be around Rory hitting balls? And, and you know, what's Rory like on a person to person level? You know, I I've, I know Rory a little bit. He is really our our rep in Europe and him grew up playing some junior golf together so they're really close mm. um really good friends and and uh so he's kind of his when you get to that level your camp becomes very small yeah um rory is not that way as far as super insulated yeah whereas a lot of them are so i've spent some time around rory at some wgc events majors a little bit um and he, you know, I've worked with him a little bit. I think he was a WGC in Mexico, which is mind-boggling as well, just because you're at 8,000 altitude. Everybody's yeah. got their track mans out there. And so I spent a little bit of time with him just on, you know, what, the, what, what you should normalize information to, um, you know, and just kind of going through that and, and how it's not a, a, a flat number to 10% or whatever. It's kind of like a bell curve, honestly, mm-hmm. like when you think about it. Wedge is not quite as much. Seven irons are going to be well more than maybe 10%. And then it starts to kind of level back down with the long irons, and then it goes back up with driver again as we start thinking about how that altitude affects that uh, that distance. And so he's very, very um, – you've got some guys out there that hit on track, man, just get a couple distances – you know, they're really dialing in distance. So, like, a guy like DJ is a great example. Um, he is he's, – he's dialing in his wedges, and he's just getting distances. Like, that is all he does all the time, and it's just, you know, he gets – it's just like grabbing the glove off of your bag. Like, he's putting the track man down, he's putting the iPhone down, and he's getting his distances. Not looking at a whole lot else, yeah. which is great. I mean, that's kind of like uh, my coach growing up. I mean, it's like it's it's caveman golf, which is I mean, it's done. It's been very good for him. Yeah. Uh, it's what he needs. Yeah. You have other guys like a Rory that I would throw into that category of he's looking a little deep. He's looking quite a bit deeper than that. You know, he's he is looking at at path. And he is looking at face, and he is looking at spin, and maybe land angle, and a couple different parameters. So it's not, you know, when you're walking down the line, it's not just distance. Yeah. You know, so he's a guy that he has really <coughs> dove into a lot more of of those things. And I've just got to spend a little bit of time with him on that. He's not one of those ones that I have just a. I can I can tell you a bunch of stories and all mm-hmm. of this. I do know that he's a guy that uses it. Um, more he uses more parameters than than others, hmm. um, which is good. That's you know again. That's I think when you hear him talk, 
in interviews and do other things as well that he's a he he's a he's a he's a bit of a deep thinker you know he's yeah. it's not a lot of surface value type of things with him um you know he kind of wants to know the why um i think he wants to know a little bit more but i think he's also smart enough to put those guardrails on it to know like yeah i'm not, I'm not going to go too deep into this rabbit hole yeah. but i want to also know why when i'm on the golf course so you can self-diagnose yeah and i think that's that's huge yeah. i, I, I yeah. think when you're using it when you are going to start using more than just a couple different parameters for performance and you are actually going into some more uh technique and delivery and and resulting ball flight and that kind of stuff like you have to know a little bit about what's going on on the back end um instead of just going oh well z you know well the path was zero what was zero how like how did you get there there's yeah. a lot of different ways to get there and have good results or bad results or mistake a good result for being good form right so yeah. that, that kind of goes to like putting right i mean how many accidental putts do you make by making a bad stroke yeah you know so that that can be dangerous as well that's right so you have to have a little bit of that that knowledge which he does um what i will tell you about rory from that you know circus that i've been a part of for for however long is he is incredible i, I was saying this to our rep this past week um at, at pebble so they do an amazing player coach like hospitality tent at the US Open. I mean, it's it is awesome. It's a huge huge tent. They do breakfast and lunch in there and you know, you get a lot of players go in there. But you would think a guy like Rory. I mean, besides Tiger, he is I think very well placed as the number 2 mover of the needle in yeah, golf i think so um nobody touches the needle yeah and then there's rory um and then there's a bunch of there's there's a handful of others in that elite status but i do th i think most of us could agree that that guy's just he has a lot more of the package yeah and you walk in and right there going through the line with you know anybody else that has those credentials in there is rory and he's just getting a salad and he's getting his, you know, pasta and gets his Diet Coke and sits down just at a table with everybody else. And I see that a lot from him. And I just like that is so telling. And so he's how he's been able to do that. I don't really know because yeah. <laughs> a lot of guys, they they don't. And maybe it's because he always has yeah. that it's 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 become less of like oh man Roy's in here Roy's in here. Yeah. you know or people coming over and bothering him or whatever it is nothing you wow. know it, it's it's so I've seen that a lot and uh I think that's cool as yeah. hell man yeah like that he can do that I think that that's what you know it's interesting like Tiger for whatever reason kind of kind of got burned early in his career in a GQ magazine and he went from being like that mm -hmm. to like cut that off and like was persona non grata man you ain't getting nothing from me no and um he and now obviously after all the things he's come back he's a little more engaging but not completely engaging mm -hmm. uh rory 
and Spieth and Justin Thomas, mm-hmm. Jason Day too. They're mm-hmm. they're so much not like that. Like they just they ask questions and they just kind of pour their guts out into the answer in a press room. Yeah, which is good and bad. Yeah, and I guess, <laughs> I guess it is good and bad because depending on how, like where they are, it can get them. Man, Tiger's like he's got his script out. Yeah, you know, Rory, yes, Rory question, and you you can't wait because you might get a a question because it didn't really affect him. Like, I, I do my best, and you know, I'm trying. And then you might ask a question, and he'll just deep dive on you. Jordan Spieth will deep dive on just about yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Justin Thomas will give you some incredible answers. Kepka's starting to get some really good answers mm-hmm. too. I think he's. For whatever it was, he's being forced into it, or he's starting to want to get into it. Yep. That dude's—that's the last guy I want to talk about because he doesn't use—he usually has a track man, yeah, but he doesn't overly use it. Nope. But he is a very unique bird. Mm. Man, that guy. We're gonna study this guy. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is. Like, He—he—he he uses every PGA event almost as a practice event for a major championship. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care what you think. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know that if I need it, I got it. And I know that I got it for longer than you. I'm mentally tougher than you. And I don't think that there's like 20 guys that can beat me. Mm -hmm. Period. And if I'm playing good, nobody can beat me. Right. And that's what when you're around Kepka. Kind of shed some light on who is the who are we closer to seeing the Kepka that's gonna be insightful and he's gonna be show you that he's tough as nails but be insightful about it or is he just the chip on his shoulder guy in the gym who just wants to pound your head in and will look for anything to uh, f- put something on his shoulders he can pound you yeah it's a great question because I've you know. Um think you know this but you know his his short game coach is a good friend of mine Jeff Pierce yeah great guy and um you know so I've gotten to know Jeff really well over the years I mean he he was a guy that um you know he we grabbed dinner on the road all the time and uh you know so we talked some about we talked some about him and, and I was just up there this past you know, obviously at Pebble this past week, and he stayed. He stayed with me on Wednesday night. We had dinner one of the other nights, and and we're talking about it. And you know, I don't know that I know the answer to that. I don't know that he knows the answer to that. Um, I know that you're a big um, like Jocko, you know, extreme ownership kind of guy. Yeah. You know, we've we've uh, you know, I, I and and Jeff is that way, and we've had those conversations. I've listened to to Jocko on a couple things like when I heard him on Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and him talking about some of that and I think there's a lot of that with um with Brooks mm-hmm. that um you kind of just cut through the you know he's not ever going to be the guy that's going to give you the oh gee golly or oh well I'm just doing this like it's just hey you know I I either did or I didn't um and I think that it will be interesting. You know, I heard, I heard a comment also from a coach not that long ago. Um, I think it was Foley. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. And he was talking about players going to the range, like how they prepare for a tournament. 
a major in particular, and how putting in that work beforehand when you get there and then like if you're hitting balls after the round and stuff like that, about every time you're going to the, a practice facility type of scenario. And, and I thought this was really interesting. And I kind of think about this with Brooks on the like, are you here to get better or are you here to feel better? And I think that that's one of the things, like, because you see a lot of guys out there and they're just grinding, 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 grinding. And it's a Tuesday of a major. And you're just like, I mean, who knows? It's the hardest thing to do in all of sports is to predict who's going to win a golf tournament by watching them on the driving range. I mean, I've watched guys just absolutely hit it like dog doo-doo and then win the tournament. Mm -hmm. Hadn't made made a cut and, you know, five months and then you watch guys flush it and shoot 10 over yeah so it's very hard to figure out because there's all these other things but what he has been able to do is get a routine as far as where he stays who's there who's you know what he's going to eat what he's going to work out like all of those things again it's almost a little military-ish in that preparation Mm -hmm. um, which there's a lot to be said for that uh, discipline to be able to do that. And I think at the same time, when that guy, he had, you know, uh, you look at these people that are able to be very successful in all of business when it seems like there's tons of things going on, business or life or whatever. So I take like a guy like, uh, like, uh, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart guys, like, you're like, how does this guy have two seconds? He is literally in everything. Yeah. But he, like, when he clocks in, he's in. When he clocks out, he's out. I think Brooks Kepka is a guy that, like, when he's on that driving range, yeah, I'm here to get better. I don't need to feel better. I'm going to feel better by playing better. Yeah. You know, and this is my two cents looking at it from the outside yeah. looking in. Fascinating. But I think that he's a guy, like, when he's out there, look, I'm not here to, like, yuck it up and let's talk about this and whatever. Like, I'm here to do a job. And I'm going to do this job. If if I do my preparation and I put in my work, like you said, I mean, we yeah. all heard his interview at Beth Page, and then he just did it, yeah. which is <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. But I think he's that guy. So I don't know if he will be I, – I, you know, it, it's a little bit of that he is able to compartmentalize, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm here to work. I'm here to win. But then when you, you know, he's a great guy, super personable. I mean, you know, is is by all accounts, I mean, just a a super guy. But I think when he when he checks out, damn it, like we ain't gonna talk about golf. We're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do that. Like, you know, he goes and does his vacation. He goes does whatever. He doesn't pick up his clubs. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah. And so so then you get guys like, like the ones that you mentioned. Um, you know, uh, uh, Justin Thomas and and uh, and and Jordan. I mean, I just think that not that they don't do that; they do, obviously. Um, but the way that I think Brooks is able to just like when he gets out there, it's just it's business, bud. Yeah. And and because uh, I'm and I'm gonna shoulder all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is some Tiger there. Yeah. In that, because um, obviously I think we can say Tiger was that way um and it was what was really funny too when tiger was describing his round 
on Thursday at Beth Page and playing with Brooks and describing Brooks's round, it was pretty interesting because it really sounded like everyone else describing Tiger's rounds back in the 2000s. 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. Right? Oh, man. So true. One of the things I, I will... I would always say is that Tiger was always ahead of, ahead of the game in a lot of ways. He was the ball. He was the guy who changed the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that one of the things that gets swept under the rug, he would have won. He was awesome. But I think one of the things that gets underplayed in the Pebble Beach destruction of 2000 was he was playing the ball that everybody's playing with now mm-hmm. against everybody else playing up a lot of ball. Yep. And he was hitting two iron. He hit two iron off number two tee. Eight yards past Ernie Els' driver. And Ernie's not <laughs> Patty Bergen it out there. That's right. <laughs> and that's like people's heads were spinning. Yeah. Like, wait a second. That's not normal. Yeah. Top flight off the tee in Balada yeah. it with a wedge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm really fascinated. Uh I really believe that the Masters, the guys at the Masters hinted. Fred really hinted that the USGA is taking two years, which will end this December. And I'm not so sure that Augusta National is actually not the most powerful entity in all of golf. Because the the writing in between the writing was that if the USGA doesn't do something with the ball or something to, to bring it back a little bit, yeah. that with the next time they come to Augusta National... They will. Yeah. Here you go. Here's your golf ball. Here's your golf ball. I don't think it has to be radical, but I, I almost sense that something has to change. A couple of things of reason why. I know that TaylorMade has more than two different balls that the retail people can't get. That Johan, who's a great player mm-hmm. and PGA pro here, mm-hmm. hit it 20 yards longer than the TP5X that he can get mm-hmm. when he played at Bell Reeve in the PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. He's like, whoa, wait, free 20? That wh- wh-. So Peter Kessler, who's he's trending toward whoa in the social media world. Like, yeah. man, he's, I'm not sure well, I'm not what's going on there. Yeah. Very provocative. And I, I, don't, I don't like that kind of stuff, yeah. right? He's saying that, the, and I, this is something I agree with, the unregulated or semi-unregulated stuff that's going on in the tour between balls, maybe driver heads, maybe not. I think that they're they're a little bit more tightly reined. Yeah, on driver heads. Yeah. But I'm like, how can Johan, like, I have a meeting with him Uh five days after Bell Reeve, and his head is still kind of blown away. Here, just try these. Yeah. And it's that much different. Dude, it's insane. Yeah. I'm interested to see, like, if they do that, and I think that they could do it for pretty quick. Mm Mm-hmm. Put a spin limit on how low it can, um, how low the spin can go. Make the driver head three seventy five instead of four fifty, right? To reduce the sweet spot. If that ball would spin more, I would be really fascinated to see who'd be winning at golf. It would change the game, man. Yeah, it would. Um, you, you start know, making those bad shots go offline and curving more, right? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think that the way that um, 
it's not something I've put too too much thought into it. To 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 go to your point though, I mean, I don't know if you would call. Well, you will. Um, you you can call it just like boutique golf balls. I mean, because they are uh, what you see on the shelf. I, I go back to a funny comment that Chris Cawthon, our our pro at West Haven, he, he had a member that came in and he's like, "Well, I want some of them spinner balls that uh, you know the pros got. Spinner, you got any of them spinner golf balls?" And I think about that, I just think that's a hilarious comment. But at the same time, and I always thought like, oh, well, I mean, the ball that they play is the ball that, you know, you play. That guy is obviously doesn't need a spinner golf ball. Yeah. But <laughs> but the point being, <laughs> that's that's not what we're getting at here. Yeah. I don't think the spinner golf ball was his, was his issue. But there is a difference, and there is a big difference. And there are multiple uh balls per manufacturer that are pretty boutique that you're not going to get i mean when you just look at like titleist for instance i mean you're going to have you know you've got the 15 x and regular and then the 16 and then the 17 and then the 18 and then the 19 so you got however many different years of that ball which all have a little different characteristics as you know yeah. it changed quite a bit last year i think between mm -hmm. the x and the yeah and they the regular, flipped it pretty much i mean i'm sure there's more to it but to paint the broad scope of it that's pretty much what had happened right and then there's you know a star ball and a and a dot ball and a whatever so there are these other ones that are out there that these guys and and, and here's the thing too is that um it can even change through the year you know, so if you have, that might even be a ball that, say, works well on the West Coast on Poe. And then you get to Bent in the Northeast, and that ball is not is not the ball. Mm -hmm. So some of them, it could be, you know, um, ball speed, like you said, like for a guy like Johan. I mean, I saw a player get a ball tossed over to him a year and a half ago. And literally got four mile an hour of ball speed with a three wood from, I mean, I watched the guy hit 10 balls and then the guy goes, just like, yeah, little flip, flip this little, little pill out of my, <laughs> out of my pocket here and like, bang, five mile or four mile an hour of ball speed, four mile an hour of ball speed, you know, two, two more yards for every mile an hour. Buddy, Hello. that's a that's a that's a two wood now. Yeah. But then what's the backside of that? You know what I mean? Like, how did you get there? So there are there's a there's a bunch of that. I'm sure TaylorMade has a bunch, and Titleist has a bunch, and you know, Cleveland or Strixon and and Bridgestone as well. Yeah. So to be able to do that, but the my rambling of this is I heard it put the other day, and it kind of made me think a little bit I've never even thought about it as far as all these different golf balls I just thought okay well you know good for them they can find something that maybe works for them better and if they're smart enough to take advantage of that mm -hmm. then great um, but you think about it in comparison to other sports which I've never done mm -hmm. and you know it's like they were talking about uh, we show up to Wimbledon and you're like, eh, I got my ball. 
for my serves, like when I'm serving, right? Yeah. And that sounds asinine. There's no way you would ever have your own tennis ball when you're out there. And I've never thought of it that way. I mean, basketball, you're playing with a basketball. Yeah, in football, you got a couple, you know, the kicker might have a different this or whatever. And But, like, it's – you know, it's uh, it, it's it's controlled. Yeah. Um, you know, baseball. Yeah, there's maybe some stuff going on in baseball with different balls or whatever yeah. else. But you know, it all comes from the same pile. That's right. You know, like these footballs all have been inspected and come from the same pile. Yeah. Um, but in golf, it's like everybody has their own thing. They bring their own deal to the table. And I'd never thought that that was a, that was the first time I really thought like, yeah, maybe. It, Maybe it does need to be regulated. Yeah. Because it's really the only sport where it's not. Yeah, it's wild. I just west. never thought about it it's in the comparison to other there. sports. Yeah, no doubt. Was well, we, we shift to the in the show where we go from what we do for a living and try to max out the performance of our life to what do we do to recharge our batteries? And I've found that the the communitas or the coming together with friends and family come usually occur within sporting events or golf. Mm-hmm. Um, live music or f- your, your favorite music and then food and wine and things that you do together with families that elevate moments. What's your, uh, when you think of your favorite sport, what was your, what's your favorite, like, what's your favorite sports team? College football. Yeah. And even though I am a bulldog, yeah. alum, um, love my time at Mississippi State. I mean, I hope my daughter goes to Mississippi State. But I grew up, like, so diehard Tennessee football fan. And just Tennessee fan in general, actually. Um, And and so, growing up in West Tennessee, my dad going, hey, let's, you know, and from Jackson, Tennessee to Knoxville might as well be, like, driving to New York City. I mean, it's forever away. You can get to – growing up in Jackson, I think you get to six other SEC schools before you can get to your your own state. (laughs) To your own state. But getting up in the morning and and driving for for a game, driving all the way to Knoxville, going to games. And I'm I'm 33, and so if we think about when I was growing up, what Tennessee football – was yeah, man. it was as good of a you know era in that football you know I mean I know now it's like oh Alabama 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 yeah they're super dominant Tennessee was pretty damn do- not pretty damn dominant they were super dominant in that era when I was the most uh influential yeah uh, of no that doubt. and mm-hmm. so um huge Tennessee fan um you know so that has always been you know I still text with my dad during games and got a bunch of buddies that all went up there and and uh you know i was i was going to knoxville Mm -hmm. and and ironically enough this is this is funny i was going i got into uh architecture in knoxville i was gonna be i really i always wanted my mom is in interior design and like i loved architecture uh loved art and really that was what i was gonna do and that's what Mm -hmm. i was always gonna do Got into the School of Architecture. Was going up there. Already had a roommate. My parents were like, hey, why don't you go down and check out Mississippi State? I was like, I'm not going down that Cal College. Like They were like, they got this PGM thing. And went down there. And all my buddies that went up to Knoxville, they're all s- still friends. Mm-hmm. 
I went down and got this unbelievable experience at Mississippi State where my, my you say, like happy places also for, for sports. Not necessarily – football was – it was a tailgating experience, there, and I <laughs> yeah. was very good at that. <laughs> we didn't win a lot of games, but I would say all American, and and I would say you're probably going to fall in this category very, very, you know, uh, very easily as well. I was undefeated at the tailgate, <laughs> never lost, right? Um, but looking back too, as much as you know, Tennessee football and basketball as well, because I mean. We even went to games up there. I mean, Thompson Bowling, there's nobody there for boys' basketball games. Yeah. It was women's basketball games that are selling that thing out. And um, But we still went to, to, to basketball games as well. But then my experience down at Mississippi State, the baseball games, and I went to a ton of games at the Hump, too. I mean, yeah. I, I, I did. I'm a sports nut. Yeah. Um, so I went – to I went to the football games as long as it didn't contradict with what time Tennessee was playing. But I would still always hit the tailgate. But I went to almost every basketball game and I went to a ton of football or a ton of baseball games. We met one of the guys who played in a little golf tournament who had the second left field lounge spot. So the guy that did all the cooking and smoking for the teams. Oh yeah. This guy was right beside him. And so, if you remember the guy with the boot on the cane yeah, pole, absolutely. okay, so that's where we sat for a lot of the a oh, lot wow, of the baseball awesome. games. Um, so that was pretty heartbreaking the other day. Obviously, when they get put out, Vandy, hopefully they continue on mm-hmm. and and do well from the SEC standpoint. But um, you know, uh, my my getaway from things has always been Tennessee sports in general. But there is this big place also still in my heart for. Mississippi State in general, but mm-hmm. baseball was it's yeah. one of the best experiences you period period yeah no I doubt. put it against anything yeah for that's what to me what college sports is better than professional sports is like you, the the sense of like you're part of it not so much in the NFL or the yeah. Major League Baseball my situation is not that much dissimilar than yours I, I, I say like my head my my brain is Mississippi State that's where I went to school mm-hmm. but my heart's a Penn State and Nittany Lion yeah. So, like, as, as much as the things went really south at Penn State, really south. Um, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is my opportunity to be a Mississippi State. I'm going all in on my alma mater. And I really need to embrace that. Uh, and I just can't. It's it's in my heart, just like the Tennessee football is in your heart. Right. You can't take it out. And I, I would say that I, I mirror that experience. I'm Mississippi State was the, the university for me, mm-hmm. the greatest experience. I've met so many great people. And then – just the mere fact that I I went back every other year since I graduated to speak to help whatever whatever me going down there to do does to an experience for kids. Uh, I try to cut it to the truth. I tell the stories the way I would have wanted them told to me. Yeah. And sometimes I get I get a little stink eye. Certainly, Doctor Jones guy gave me the stink eye early when I was telling like the what I sensed was the facts of college. But I try to lay it out like that. But I I love that place. But man, I'm just with you there. Like college football is, that's one of my go to moments of the year. And you know, there's certain games. You got Tennessee, Alabama, mm-hmm. certainly a huge Tennessee, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Like all these r- r- earmarked dates yeah. 
on, on the calendar and why mine has changed because when I grew up, Penn State wasn't in the Big Ten. Now they are, so it went from Notre Dame, Nebraska, Alabama yeah. to Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State or Wisconsin. Right. But at the end of the day, college football is a it's a big deal, man. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, there is to me, you know, you I, I just there is no greater sense than like on a Saturday and you got, you know, you get that first day where it's like in the fifties mm-hmm. in the morning and it's sunny outside and it's just like I cannot wait. You know, now my days are a little bit different than yeah. like, hey, we go get donuts and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but we're still but but the, the thought is still like we're still buying time yep. <laughs> until this moment. Yeah. And I still like I, I mean, I get worked up about it and, and, and my wife we we've she didn't understand at first because her parents are, are old mess grads. Her her mom was like Miss Old Mess. Her dad was the was the rebel and like the whole thing. And so she grew up going down to the Grove and doing all that. And you know she's like the little cheerleader, you know, girl. Yeah. And and her sisters went to LSU and actually played uh, college soccer. So she's got all that kind of going on. And then we're, we we start date. We grew up together, but we start dating. And she's just like. Why? I mean, like you're a nervous wreck. Like you are, just. What is wrong with you? Like you turn into this other person, right? And she's like, and then she she goes, and they're not even good. And I'm like, well, if I'm this bad, if you think I'm this bad and they're bad, wait till they're good. (laughs) You know, as bad of a loser as I am, I'm a worse winner. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when it's been taken away from you for a long time. Yeah. Like we're, I think we're we're probably close to the back end yeah. of Alabama's run because how much longer is Saban going to coach? And well, that's whatever. the question, right? Exactly. Yeah, so, like, but it's a really long run. But it's not that far long ago that Alabama was a laughing stock, and people forget Dubose. Yeah, and the, and that guy came from. Where did he come, Washington or Kansas? Like, got caught in the strip club. And oh, yeah, Total, yeah. like, there was, like, three consecutive yeah. debacles of coaching. We had Shula. And Shula. Yeah. And, like, the program was dead. Yeah. Well, t- I, t- I think, so Tennessee had lost, like, eight or nine straight to them at one stretch. And then they won nine straight. And then now they're in the midst of, like, losing, like, 12 straight or whatever it is. But I do agree with – I mean, there's such a big machine that's just moving just – It's a freight train. It is an absolute freight train. But I do agree with you in the fact that, like, if you look just historically, I mean, like, it is a cyclical thing. Like, like if you're down, you're not always going to be down. If you're a power – if, you're, if yeah. you're one of those powerhouse historical, yeah. you know, teams. Like, I mean, look at Penn State. It's the same way. I mean, you know, they, like – it's like we can't even talk about what happened there, and that's we should we shouldn't. Yeah. It d- deserves zero time. We sh- we shouldn't discuss that. But at the same time, then you get um, you get Franklin. I mean, I, I think he's obviously you. He hit Vandy at the absolute perfect time when things were down other places and he had some talent that was there and maximized it. Mm-hmm. And then he saw what was about to come right after that, Adios. got out yeah. and got in just on the backside of this, you know, just 
you know, horrible cleanup of things to where he could come in and, and have low expectations for a place that has massive expectations. Yeah. And, and he knows how he knows that blueprint very well. Yeah. And so now they'll continue along and, and, and they're going to be around. I mean, yeah. they they've lost some big guys, obviously Mick Sorley and, yeah. and, uh, what's his name? Barkley. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're not going to be down forever, and they're no. not going to be up forever. That's right. When you think about your your favorite music and your favorite concerts, who's your favorite band? Um, you know, it's hard for me to say a favorite band. I think that's, as you know, that's a hard question. But um, I, I a band that I really like is uh, John Butler Trio. Um. Big fan of them. I ran into them a long time ago, and I've seen them in concert mm-hmm. probably seven or eight times. A um, couple festivals, but then Tabernacle in Atlanta and here at the Ryman. And, um, you know, I'm, I know you're a huge Pearl Jam fan. I'm a mm-hmm. big Pearl Jam fan as well. But, um, you know, I, I'm my parents are big music people. Mm-hmm. Um, still go to a bunch of shows. Um, I've got some friends that are songwriters, and 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 I'm not a big country guy. Yeah, me either. Uh, never have been. It's just not necessarily my thing. I appreciate, you know, what they are able to do um, and and get plays. And you know, they still have still have my songs on there that are you know wind is down during the summer. It's like yeah, you know, that's a good like you know sitting around or maybe in the backyard like good beer drinking music. Yeah. Um, but that's not really my deal. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you still call it classic rock, but you know, like I love the Eagles, um, you know, uh, Steve Miller band, Tom Petty, um, you know, Bob Seger, you know, I, I just, I, I'm a, I just love music. I got music going all the time. Um, you know, cause with what I do, my job I'm traveling, and when I'm not traveling, I'm, I'm at the house, you know, on the computer making calls or whatever. Like, there's a, there's music going. That's background. At almost all times. Yeah. And it could literally be almost anything. Mm-hmm. Probably not rap. Yeah. Probably not country. Yeah. The rest is kind of. Okay. Could be anything. Best concert you've ever been to? Best concert. Um... I would say when I saw John Butler Trio for the first time, that was really pretty spectacular. Um, the Black Keys at the Ryman was pretty incredible on the front end of them kind of yeah. really getting going. Um, my uh, Neil Young at the Ryman, really amazing. I think Lance Vincent and Virgil Herring at the Ryman would be a sellout because anything sounds good at the Ryman. Yeah, it that's is true. unbelievable that's, how good that place is. Yeah, it's is. not even fair. It's like you say anything, you're like, <laughs> and at the Ryman. Um, but uh, I'll I'll say this. I did, of people to see at the Ryman. So I am Ted Nugent, <laughs> Stranglehold, is like – that is what is play. Anyone that knows me very well knows, like, that is my nine and a half minutes of, like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and uh, so I saw Ted Nugent. Oh, God. At the Ryman. I can't believe they let him in there, <laughs> but they did. And somebody gave us tickets because they knew how I like, I just, I, I love the Nuge. And we go to this concert. 
and we're on the third row, and he pulls out a bow and arrow and shoots it through a buffalo head <laughs> on the stage at the Rhyme. <laughs> And uh, so there's that. So, <laughs> so there's that. You know, it, it's, it, again, like, what's your favorite band? What's your favorite music? What's your best concert? Like, you know, it's it's like your favorite golf course, right? Yeah. There's uh, there's little things that, like, seeing Ted Nugent play, get up there and go, all right, we're right, I'm about to play the greatest guitar riff of all time. And then go straight into Stranglehold, and it's just like, okay yeah this is about as cool as it gets shoots an arrow through a buffalo head like is that the greatest concert probably not it's ted nugent at the ryman it's probably not the greatest concert should that compare with neil young up there with his hat and harmonica Uh, and that's it no it doesn't (laughs) (laughs) but was it but was it awesome yeah hell yeah yeah that's awesome what a great story that is that is so cool (laughs) that is awesome when you, I know that you're, uh, you're, you're, you love to have a good time. I'm a big wine guy. Mm-hmm. You, uh, what do you like to do when it get when you get together with friends? What's your what's your what's your choice? Um, I kind of joked about this before we 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 popped on here. Um, of I, I'm not a big wine guy. Um, I, you know, I've been to a when we lived in the mountains in North Carolina, there was a little vineyard out there. And that was probably, I'd say, one of my happiest places. It was this right crappy little, I mean, I don't know, crappy vineyard if I should say that. But it's just a small little vineyard. Yeah. Maybe the wine's not all that good, I'm sure, like uh-huh. in comparison. Yeah. But right there in, in uh, Grandfather, and my wife and I sitting out there, and that was like, that's like my one like, okay, I could dig this, but then I never know what to get and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I need to spend some time with you to, yeah. to get down the wine road. But gathering with friends and all that, like, I'm just, I'm a, I am a light beer guy. Yeah. Even like the IPA thing, not really my deal. Like, I mean, if you're going to see me hanging out with friends, gathering all of us together, I mean, it's probably going to be a Miller Lite. <laughs> That's interesting. Something along yeah. those lines. I, I do like um, I do like bourbon and in that as well. Maybe even a gin and tonic from time to time. But like we'll, we might have that around. But it feels more social. Like to me, I'm such a I love people around. Yeah. And and whether it's you know true or not, but like it's like a beer in your hand is just nothing more social. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I agree, and I think that in, in some regards, um, you are what what it is that you love. Okay, so Starkville for sure. Yeah, you know the grill. Yeah, it's a it's Miller Light heavy, and it's was our life. And it's not like when we were in college that we were walking around with eighty dollar bottles of wine. Right, right. You know they don't sell that in Starkville. That's right. <laughs> but it's so fascinating, like. You are a a people guy. You're a an extroverted, want to get to know people, hear funny stories, tell funny stories. That's living to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really care what it is that you're that that becomes the vehicle to get you there. But what you know, when you're around food and and drink, and it like it just takes the edge off first, 
And then it allows you to like open up all the senses. Like you're you're hearing laughter, you're hearing the kids run around, mm-hmm. you know, the fires maybe fires crackling or you know whatever. Or you're at a tailgate mm-hmm. and there's fifty thousand like-minded, crazy volunteer fans. Right. It takes you. It tr- must transport you to another place that recharges your battery, and that's yeah. what life's all about. Is like we want to deliver the best that we can deliver in the in the business world, and, and you're killing it at TrackMan. But then you also like, golly, I'm on the road a lot. Got family, kids, wife, mom, dad, et cetera, et cetera. When I'm there, I'm I'm trying to use that to recharge, and those are the things that uh, that are important in life. So thank you for sharing yeah. your your experience, your life, and uh, I can yeah, I'm honored to have you as a buddy, and uh, I'm I'm so excited to see where your your career is going since Thanks, you know, Gardner. man. Even though you, I feel like I'm like a couple years older than you, I'm actually 12, which kind of hurts my feeling. But nevertheless, uh, super excited for your future. And um, thanks for coming on The Verge, buddy. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's great, man. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Chrome Soft isn't just another tour ball. It's the golf ball that's changing how tour balls are made. When Callaway made a low-compression, low-spin tour ball, others said they might be onto something and tried to do the same. But they can't because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with graphene-infused, dual-soft, fast core for serious speed and unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone is playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball that changed the ball at CallawayGolf.com.